why is it that people don't want to engage, right? And so there's this archetype of leader, I yeah. think, yeah. that people don't want to engage with. And I realized, and, you know, and she's the one who, you know, told me, she said, you know, it can be lonely, right? People don't want to talk to you, right? Because of whatever perception that they may have. I'm Janet Ioli, and you're listening to Power Presence Academy, practical wisdom for leaders. If you're looking for leadership mentoring, advice, or just a dose of inspiration, I've got you covered. Join me as I share leadership tips and lessons of experience from experts and from executives at the top of their game. This is your go-to place for all things leadership. It doesn't have to be lonely at the top. Let's go. Karita is currently the Chief Legal Officer, General Counsel, Head of Legal, that's a mouthful, of Shell Recharge Solutions, America and Asia. She has deep global experience in environmental and corporate law. So, Karita, thank you so much for being our guest here today. I'm really excited to have you. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm, I'm excited as well. So I'm going to start out, and I'm going to ask you the question that I ask all of the guests that are on this podcast and on the show, is tell us a little bit about, okay, so how did you get to be this title? Because we have this title that we, <laughs> we have, right? But there's a journey that's involved in that. So can you talk a little bit about What's been the path for you to get to where you are today, working for Shell? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started my career a bit on a traditional path of working in private practice at law firms. And and then I decided I wanted to work as an in-house lawyer. And I think the moment that I thought that I might want to become a general counsel was during my interview for the Shell job almost 15 years ago. Interesting. the general counsel at that time was a woman named Kathy Lambelay. And I remember walking into her office and shaking her hand. And I remember that she had a soft handshake. Hmm. And, you know, at that time they were telling women, you have to have a firm handshake. And I think at that moment, I realized almost immediately that I thought, you know what? I could be a general counsel. Wow. Because all of a sudden, I thought all of these structures, all of these things that were supposed to be a certain kind of way, all of a sudden, I realized, well, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. I don't have to necessarily have this firm handshake that everybody's telling us we need to have in order to be successful or to reach to the, the highest levels, you know, to the C-suite. And, you know, arriving at Shell, I was living in the Bay Area in, uh, in California, and then I moved to Texas to work in Houston. And I remember the women who were leaders in the organization, I mean, they were wearing red nail polish and they were saying y'all and, <laughs> you know, and they were powerful leaders. And so I thought, you know what, I, I could absolutely do this. But I also want to add one more piece to this. You know, when I was living and working overseas in Doha, Qatar, I became the governance officer for the USA Girl Scouts overseas oh. uh, in Doha. And I was asked to be the the governance officer. And my first response was, 
no, I don't think I really want to do that because, you know, I've said, you know, it's like, what do I spy with my legal eyes? A lot of liability with all of these kids. Right. And then I also think that I was a bit nervous about it because, you know, I recognize that in that role, the buck was going to stop with me around certain questions. And, you know, did I really have the courage to say yes, no, and make firm decisions, you know, for everybody's safety and well-being? And I took the plunge. I said yes after the second ask. And I really do feel like once I started that role and began to walk in it a bit, I realized I think that kind of laid the foundation for, you know, maybe I really, really can do this. Wow. It's interesting how saying yes to things, how that impacts, right? And that we're hesitant at first. And then all of a sudden that decision or saying yes to something that we were going to say no to impacts just the trajectory of our career. I'm sure there's much more to that story, right? This whole leadership trajectory. But let me ask you this, as you sit where you are now and you look back and you look back on that person 15 years ago, rising up, what advice would you give to that person, to that woman, girl, woman growing into the role and growing into your career? What what advice would you give? I would say, you know, you can manifest what you want with intention and sometimes taking little steps along the way. I think it's important to, I would tell myself, you know, to let go of any preconceived notions of how you think things will look. I would tell her, you need to be willing to let, even though you have this intention, you need to be willing to let go of of how the universe or how God is going to actually make that happen. And I think the final thing I would certainly really want to convey to my younger self is the importance of authenticity and what you get for that. It's too much work to try to be someone else or to try to fit into a mold. And I've just learned and I'm seeing that the more authentic I am, the more authentic I see other people, you know, in terms of how they bring themselves. It's just, to me, I think that's a better formula for success. What does that mean to you? Like being your authentic self, because that means a lot of different things. And I think sometimes, Karita, for some people, it's also an excuse to like say whatever I want. Right. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to tell you like it is. And I could be rude. I could be all of these things. What is what do you refer to when you mean being authentic? There have been moments where I've had to look at myself and say, you know what? I'm not even sure what my authentic self is Mm -hmm. because I've been trying to fit this particular mold and trying to be this particular thing because that's what society says I should do or how I should act, et cetera. But, you know, for me, I think in terms of, you know, specific behaviors, I mean, it is me sharing a bit more personally about who I am. So, you know, I've spent my a large part, part of my life as a dancer and most people that I worked with for years never knew that about me. And for some reason, I didn't share it. And I'm not sure why I, I thought it didn't fit with the mold of being a lawyer or that people might not take me seriously if they knew that that was a passion of mine. But then actually, I worked with a woman on my LinkedIn profile, and she said, you know, Karita, you need to put some elements in here about, you know, your passion for dance. She said, because otherwise, she said, you know, when people meet you, you don't make any sense. What I hear there, I mean, I think it's so poignant. What you're saying is there's a piece of bringing all of you 
right? Not hiding. Because I think we hide certain parts of ourselves that we think, well, it doesn't, it goes back to the handshake. It doesn't fit into the mold. It doesn't fit into what I'm supposed to be doing. But I also like what you said about the concept of not really knowing our authentic selves sometimes, you know, because so many layers of this, we get lost in it. And so the more you're experimenting and expressing all sides of yourself is what, what I hear and, and how powerful that is and how powerful it's been for you. Right. Indeed. And also, you know, the point you raised about you know, some people want to exude bad behavior or socially unacceptable behavior so that under the rubric of, oh, I'm being authentic. Right. Well, you know, I think that, you know, to that person, I would probably say, yeah, I mean, you know, is that truly authentically who you are? Right. And I also think that we all need to, you know, do pay attention to the type of impact that we want to have on other people. Yeah. Right. Both positive and negative. I think it's a choice. Yeah. And it goes, it all goes back to that, right? It all goes back to choice, right? And I think you're right. I think sometimes we confuse that authentic with some of our own defensive protective mechanisms. Now talk to me about obstacles, right? So did you encounter, or do you feel like you encountered any unique obstacles just growing into leadership roles, growing into the trajectory of your career, either being a woman or in any other fashion that you might have encountered? You want to talk a little bit about that, if you had that. You know, there were definitely challenges. I will find, I, you know, I do find it's hard for me to differentiate as an African-American woman, you know, which of these challenges might be attributed to being a woman, which ones might be attributed to being African-American. You know, it's really hard for me to say mostly, it's hard for me to understand the woman piece, to be honest, because I often attribute some of the the challenges to be an African-American in corporate America. But, you know, the reality is, though, is that, yeah, I think it's the the battling of, you know, stereotypes. Yeah. Kind of goes back to the the authenticity piece, right? And not wanting to be perceived a certain kind of way. And so then I downplay aspects of my personality so that the stereotype that the world or the culture might have of people who look like me doesn't attach. And I think that, you know, that was certainly an obstacle that took me a long time to overcome. Probably didn't even realize I had it, I think initially for years. And then when I realized that, that I was doing these things, I, you know, I realized how much it, it held me back, you know, and, and once I relieved myself from that, I became more creative, you know, more innovative, I asked more questions. I took more risks. But, you know, but I, I will say that, you know, in my role right now, you know, because I've been in the, the general counsel role for about two years now, you know, I've got a, a great leadership team. Mm-hmm. And we've taken the time as a team to get to know one another. And as a result of that work, you know, we know, well, when this particular person is in stress, you know, they tend to micromanage or you know, so different behavioral characteristics. And I think it gives, you know, it helps us give each other grace, right? And so on a leadership team in that way, I think, you know, taking the time to get getting to know one another has really helped, I think, with feelings of me potentially not feeling included, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. And I'm, I'm struck by so many things that you said in that 
in what you just said, because there's so much depth in there. But I'm particularly stuck by the stereotype because I think what that does is it puts us in whatever stereotypes that we're dealing with, it puts us in a defensive mode and then it minimizes our own power, right? right? I mean, because when we're in a defensive mode, we're defending, you know, who I am. I'm I'm having to defend who I am. I mean, that's, at least that's what I'm hearing. And so and then, no, 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 I'm not this way or I'm not this. And then you lose a part of yourself. And so what you said, you know, when you overcame that, what was the, I don't know if it was a catalyst or what, what helped with that for you? Well, it was living overseas in the Middle East in Doha, Qatar. You know, I've shared with folks before, I've done some presentations on my time there. And so it is, you know, definitely very different than American culture. And, you know, in America, we, you know, you've heard, I'm sure we've all heard the term white privilege, et cetera. But, you know, there is a standard in America that privileges whiteness, right? And so the more you lean towards that, in theory, the better off you'll be. And Qatar, you know, whiteness is not the the case, right? Case, it's not the norm. Right. And so I was watching myself doing these behaviors. And I thought, nobody here cares about that. (laughs) So why am I acting like that? And so then I thought, do I ever have to act like that? And who could I be if I'm not acting like that? Uh, What could I create? How much energy am I expending? So I think for me, just being in a different environment where the baseline assumptions don't exist. Yeah, I think this will be true for anyone. It doesn't matter, you know, your race or what have you. I think it's important for people to travel or even to just be in a different culture than what they're accustomed to so that they can begin to see themselves a little bit differently and and observe themselves behaviorally and and ask yourself, why am I acting like that? Let's talk a little bit about self-doubt, you know, as you're navigating, because a lot of the women I talk with talk a lot about having self-doubt, especially when not fitting a norm, like not having the firm handshake or whatever. It's like, oh, well, I'm not meeting that criteria. And there was a actually a study in 2020 by KPMG. They surveyed people who went to their Women's Leadership Summit, and they talked about this concept of the imposter phenomenon, which is the imposter syndrome, and that 75% of female executives had experienced that. You and I have talked about this before, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts about your experiences with either self-doubt or feeling like an imposter or anything like that. Yeah, I remember when I was first introduced to this concept of the imposter syndrome, I was part of a senior women's coaching circle, and that was the the topic of the the first meeting. And I did the pre-read, and I remember looking at the pre-read, and I thought, you know what, this doesn't really resonate that well with me. I don't know that I feel like an imposter. And I remember in the beginning of the the session, you know, the facilitator asked for everybody's reactions, et cetera. And I said, well, you know, I don't really understand this imposter syndrome thing because I know who the real imposters are and and it's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to which she said, we'll talk about that offline. But, you know, you know what I, to say, right? Yeah, right. Well, the thing is, is that I just 
at that time, it's taken me a while to really understand what that means. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever felt like I didn't belong, or at least it takes me some time to kind of unpack that for myself, or it's taken some time. And I'm sure there must have been moments where I didn't have a whole lot of confidence, you know, about a, a new setting or a new skill or being in a new role or taking on a new matter, et cetera. But, you know, I think I've always felt like I could figure it out, mm-hmm. right? That I do have that skill set at a minimum. But, you know, and it's because of you actually, and only recently, I would say the last month, that I actually finally kind of understand what it means. But, you know, one of the other things that I found very powerful in understanding imposter syndrome was one of the seminars that was done by Chief that talked about how identity-based trauma shows up as imposter syndrome. And, and so, you know, I realized that there are times where I am, where I'm treated as if I don't belong. Right. Right. And I think if for all women, you know, if you're consistently not promoted, not recognized, not valued, not given opportunities, then yeah, I do think that we start to ask ourselves, you know, do I belong here? Right. And so I think that there's some more unpacking that needs to go on around, you know, why is it that women might feel, might lack confidence or have some self-doubt and look at the circumstances, right, and see what's going on in the culture, the environment of an organization, not that it, you know, doesn't exist, you know, in the way it's traditionally defined, but, you know, in my opinion, I mean, there's no reason why extraordinarily competent women, experienced women, accomplished women should, you know, walk around feeling as if they don't belong. A lot of the things that we've identified as attributes for leaders are male characteristics. And so then when a woman comes in and has maybe opposite of those characteristics, but yet is a very competent leader, there's an identity crisis there because I don't fit that mold, you know, and when you're not fitting the mold, it it goes back to that. So, yeah. Oh, but very profound comments there. Thank you, Karita. What are some of the biggest frustrations and challenges you face now at this level? Because things change as you move in your career in different stages. Yeah, I think at this stage in my career, what I'm most challenged with is making sure that I have the right level of support around me and making sure that I invest the time to take advantage of that support. You know, I've heard it called, you know, your personal board of directors, you know, making sure that I have colleagues and family and friends around me to help me get through those tough moments. Or not, or just to have, you know, a breakaway to just remember who I am, right? And, you know, I, I also get that, you know, being a leader can be lonely, right? Especially when you're at the top of an organization and a team. And you're, you are the only one, right? There is only one general counsel for this particular, you know, business that we operate. And I had a manager who was a mentor of mine, you know, when I told her that I wanted to, you know, in terms of career trajectory, I wanted to become a manager. And I remember her saying to me, you know, well, you know, being a manager, that's a different career path. 
right? It's very different than being a, you know, an individual contributor or being, you know, a senior lawyer. That's true. And yeah, it's a very different career path yeah. and very interesting person. Very powerful in her own right. Super, super, super duper smart. And I remember being in my office and I was early on when I joined Shell, I was in my office and a number of colleagues were in the, my office and we were laughing, having a good time. And she walked in, you know, wanting to join in in the conversation and laughter. And little by little, people started, you know, sliding out the door until mm-hmm. it was just the two of us. And I told her, I said, man, I said, you sure know how to clear a room. And we both started laughing. Right. And it's like, I said, what is that? And I was like, why is it that people don't want to engage? Right. And so there's this archetype of leader, I yeah. think, yeah. that people don't want to engage with. And I realized, and, you know, and she's the one who, you know, told me, she said, you know, it can be lonely. Right. People don't want to talk to you. Right. Because of whatever perception that they may have. And I think because of, you know, that advice and that steer, she became a sponsor of mine. I think people don't realize, Karita, as we move up in the organization, you're not just Karita, you're the role. And people are identifying us with the role, not as the person so much. And we identify with the person. So we're like, hey, I hear people all the time. And a lot of my clients, I'm still the same person. I don't understand why people aren't approaching me or aren't telling me the truth or won't give me feedback. And because with the role comes authority, it comes control over my career, right? It, there are a lot of things. I've got to ask you this question. I could talk to you all day, right? I mean, there's so many gems of wisdom that you're giving us here. But let me ask you this. And I ask this of everyone who's on the show, what's an inspirational quote that conveys the wisdom that you would offer as an inspiration to anyone listening or watching here today? Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes is from the original founder of the Avonale Dance Theater in New York. Mm -hmm. Just a super inspiring dance company. I'm just uplifted every time I see them perform. And Alvin Ailey, in an interview, a recorded interview that I heard from him, says, he says that what he says to the dancers is that if you can take these steps and show us yourself through them, then that will be a powerful experience for the audience. And so what I love about that and why I think it's a a good quote for women leaders is it goes back to what we were talking about before about authenticity. Right. And I think that the roles that we are in as leaders, that these are just conduits for bigger things for us to, you know, have an impact on the world or even what our true purpose is in life. It's just a framework for us to bring something through. Right. And so I feel like I would say to, you know, my women leader, other women leaders like myself, it's like, you know, if we can take these roles and show ourselves through them, then that's going to be a powerful experience for the people that we are attempting to lead. Wow. Yeah. That's my Yeah. I I got the goosebumps (laughs) as you you say that, because I think it's really, really profound. And it's funny, the metaphor of dance seems to resonate here as we're talking, right? That, you know, we all are in some sort of a dance and, you know, that flow. I, I love it. 
What other parting words of wisdom would you offer? Um, you've given us a lot here today. I know for women, we are, or I guess anyone that's in a leadership role, you know, we're prompted to try to find our leadership voice. I will say that I, that is definitely a work in progress for me. It, I'm learning that it takes time. I think before I uh, got into a leadership role, I was definitely, you know, the line attorney employee that was saying they need to do this and somebody should. I wish that they would. It's a lot different when you're sitting in that seat or sitting in these seats. There's where's the they? Yeah, yeah. I'm the they, right? I'm the they. Uh oh. (laughs) Now what? But I think the most important thing that I'm learning right now is that, and, and this is what I've gotten from mentors, from a mentor, as well as from HR, right? Who here in, in, at Shelby Choice Solutions takes a really critical role in leadership development, not just for the team, but also for the leadership team itself, is that you have to keep working at it. And I think, you know, the commitment to developing the voice, I think is really all that anyone can ask for. And I think that's a great note to end on. And I have to ask you a follow-up question on that. So how do you know when you found your voice? Or do we ever find it completely? I don't know. You know, right now, I don't know that I can put it on a slide yet, right? And I think, and I also think it evolves over time as well. I am pretty clear that it's true to one's own authenticity, for sure, your own sense of purpose. Things that I have said in the past around, you know, what I might have said in terms of what my purpose is in life doesn't quite wear right anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I think once you're able to, it just rolls off the tongue. It's pretty easy to say. And I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm quite there yet. I don't know. You know, I have to say, I think we're all a work in progress, but I, I will tell you just from this interview today, I think we've definitely heard your voice Awesome. and your voice matters. I know it's going to matter to a lot of people. Thanks for listening. And always remember this every single moment you have a choice in what you say, what you do, and how you make people feel. Pause and make those choices wisely and intentionally because every single moment, those choices are who you become as a leader. See you next time.